Good morning, everyone. It's um, really lovely to see you this morning and uh, to get to be able to share with you as well. Um, just a couple of things from me as we begin. Um, the uh, the children and the teenagers who've gone out and the crash will all get a, hopefully get a little present this morning from from the church. So if if somebody comes back, if you've sent somebody younger than you know, a child to and, and they've gone to to Sunday school or to the teens and they come back empty-handed, send them back uh, to get it. And uh, and if you're here and responsible for for children who uh, for whatever reason haven't come, uh, there is one. Please pick it up on your way out. And just to say as well that in the in these kind of leaflets from our daily bread, there's some some really good ones. There's uh, some kind of encouragement for parents, a uh, little devotion which is really good uh, encouragement for parents. That sounds like a title I'm interested in. Uh, so uh, do pick those up if they have interest to you. Right, we're going to think a little bit about the uh, these readings that have been read for us so helpfully um, by Helen. And before we do that, I want to pray uh, for us as we as we gather around God's word. What might be familiar passages for this time of year? Let's uh, let's ask the living God to speak to us through His word this morning. Father, we are grateful that we have a Bible to open. We're thankful that we get to. Um, to share it together. And as we we look at these verses, Lord, we pray that you'd speak to us this morning. Father, remind us, encourage us, help us and challenge us. Father, keep us from just going through the motions. But but may we may we encounter you as we uh, as we read your word and as we ponder it this morning in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Yeah, I want to, to begin by telling you a story uh, this morning, and uh, it's a story that happened fairly recently, and it's uh, about Lucy, our daughter, and her birthday. Lucy turned seven this year, and we had a little birthday for her, and we invited some of the, uh, the girls from her year at school to come to this birthday party. And, and the idea was that they would start at two o'clock in the afternoon on a Saturday and finish at four o'clock, and we were going to end up at the beach we, we don't live too far away from the beach. We're going to end up at the beach. And, uh, and later on in that afternoon, we took a photograph um, because we, they had a little bit of hot chocolate at the beach. Uh, I'd taken my car down there already with a few little surprises. And uh, we'd end up there. We took this photograph at the beach. Lucy and some of the children from her class at school, the sun setting over Morecambe Bay. Oh, it was beautiful. Chocolate all over their faces. Just this brilliant photograph. And if you were to flick through the pictures on my phone, um, you'd think, what a boring guy Ian is. But as a side note, you'd find this little picture and uh, these pictures of this birthday party. You'd think, what a lovely birthday party. Isn't that lovely that there's these couple of pictures of these children by the beach, sun setting, smiling faces. But that snapshot doesn't tell the whole picture of that birthday party. Let me tell you, on the Friday before the party was, uh, Storm Arwen battered the UK. And we, like many others, had garden fences kind of, you know, spread around the garden um, almost beautifully. And, 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 the, and the, when it came for the party, it wasn't raining, actually, but it was, um, it was very, very windy and very, very cold. But we're British, so we press on. And, uh, and, and the children arrived and we played a couple of games and we got everyone all bundled up in their coats and the scarves and the hats and their wellies. And Heather and I had kind of marked out the route, this little scavenger hunt with hidden clues. 
and, uh, and we'd walk this scavenger hunt to test how long it was going to take. The children started. They didn't walk one part of that scavenger hunt. They ran it from start to finish, finding the clues. It was a lovely picture. But as we finished the scavenger hunt, we're arriving at the beach, this combination of having run for all of that time, finding these clues, and this freezing cold, very strong wind whipping off the sea was a rather unfortunate combination because these children were very tired and now very cold. We sat them down, we bundled them up with every blanket that you could possibly conceive of and shoved hot chocolate into their hands, took the photograph... What a beautiful snapshot. I turned to the guy next to me, one of the dads who uh, remarkably had started a fire. I don't know how he'd done it, but it was absolutely pointless because you couldn't get near it. And if you were far away, you couldn't feel any heat anyway. But it looked nice. Uh, got it in the picture. And, uh, and I talked to him and I said, what time is it? He said, it's uh, 3.45. Oh, my heart sank. Nobody ever comes early to collect children from a birthday party. They're not fools. 25 minutes. They were sat there. We had some activities planned, but, uh, but it, it wasn't going to happen. It was so, so cold. What to do? I went to the car, took the car seats out. I dropped the, the middle row and the back row of seats. So it was just kind of flat. I opened the door. I said, does anyone want to wait in the car? <laughs> all of them, yes, yes. All of them came running and got in the car, and uh, and then they started to pick up as they and they started chanting, "Close the door, close the door." I, I closed the door, doing as I was told, and they had a great time in the back of the car for twenty five minutes, doing who knows what until their parents arrived. But in the in the years to come, I'll look back and I'll see this snapshot. But a snapshot doesn't tell the whole story. The snapshot doesn't tell the whole story. And often when we come to the, the Christmas narratives, we, we, we may look at that nativity scene. Maybe you've got a nativity scene in your home. And there's the baby Jesus in the manger. And there's Mary and Joseph. And the shepherds and the wise men. And a donkey and a cow and a sheep and a stable and a star. And it's a snapshot. Possibly not an accurate snapshot. The wise men were probably there quite a bit later. But nevertheless, it doesn't matter. This snapshot, but a snapshot doesn't tell the whole story. Richard Dahlstrom is an an American preacher, has this phrase that God is not taking a snapshot, but making a movie. And I'm going to change that a little bit. God is not taking a snapshot, but writing a story. And I want us to zoom out from that Christmas card image or that nativity scene to see some of what was happening in and around these quite familiar narratives if you've been in and around church because as we as we as we read as as Helen helpfully read for us there's not a lot of of stillness in those narratives there's a lot of movement there's a lot of activity there's a lot of journeys And, and, and the story that God has written and is continuing to write is far more exciting and significant and and hopeful than just a snapshot than just a, a, a kind of one photo. Think of, of Mary and Joseph. They're on a journey. They go from Nazareth down to Bethlehem. 
and their, and their movement and their journey continues. The, the wise men are on a journey from the east as they come and, uh, to discover this new king. The shepherds come from the hillside towards the stable. Uh, most miraculously of all, remarkably, God himself, God himself, the one who spoke the world into being, the one who created us, the eternal God steps into time as a baby born and laid in a manger. It's utterly remarkable, incredible that God, the infinite God, becomes a man as this incarnation. The most remarkable and amazing journey. And he doesn't stay as a baby, but will go on to live this incredible life. To die a cruel and agonizing death on a Roman cross. For me and for you. Paying the price for our sins. Being raised again. Seated in heaven. Sending his spirit to live within those who trust and follow him. A most incredible journey, far greater than just a snapshot. And what I want to do is just take a look at those three journeys very, very simply, very short, and see what we might notice. The first, the first one, let's look at, at Mary and Joseph for a minute or two. As was read for us, in the days of Caesar Augustus, issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor in Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph went up to the, from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem to the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. When they were there, the time came for the baby to be born and she gave birth to a firstborn son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no room available for them. What a remarkable journey that is. Let's just be clear. Where are they going? They're going from Nazareth in the north down to Judea to Bethlehem, probably about 100 miles, as we heard last week. Why are they on that journey? Why do they have to make that journey? Well, it's not a decision that they've made. It's a decision that has been made for them. That's what the the emperor, that's what the Caesar has said. The government has made that decree and so that's what they have to do. And it is remarkable to think about what's happening. As, as just, just let's place ourselves in that story for a few moments. Mary has had this encounter with an angel who has said that this once in all of human history event is taking place. As you will uh, conceive and give birth to a son, God is stepping into the world and you'll carry this child. A remarkable, amazing thing that's happening, the incarnation. So, so we might have thought that Mary then considering just what's happening, that Mary might be, okay, let's get into a palace, an armed guard, let's get the best medical staff around us to keep us safe, to look after us. Or or maybe, you know, up into the hills, away from everybody, kind of bit of peace and, and, and seclusion, bearing in mind what's going on and what's at stake. But instead of that, what actually happens is Mary's carrying the Lord Jesus There's a a, a decree by a Caesar and they have to make this hundred mile journey. Hundred miles with the man that she's pledged to be married to. 
I wonder how many of those people who were married would say, that time when we were just married, that was brilliant. We really understood each other so well at those early days. Our communication was excellent as we started, as we started married life. You know, it's not the easiest time throwing that the pressure and strain of being heavily pregnant, living with, with the discomfort, the pain, the, the, the unease. Add on to that the fact that they're, they're not married and she's clearly carrying a baby. And then she leaves her home, her situation, her family, her support group and, 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 and travel with this man she's pledged to be married to, to Bethlehem. And, and those two things run side by side. God has stepped into her life in an incredible way, doing something utterly remarkable. And yet she still has to come under the kind of um, Caesar Augustus decree and travel this difficult journey. And the two run side by side. And, and Mary heads with her husband, her husband-to-be, towards Bethlehem. Where were they going? They were going to Bethlehem. Why? Because that was the decree. What was God doing? Well, God was working in it all. The journey only made sense because of Jesus. And they were going to Bethlehem because the, the, the Messiah that was to be born was to be born in Bethlehem. The journey only made sense because of Jesus. What about the wise men? Matthew uh, chapter 2, as was read for us so helpfully. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who is born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. And when he called all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means the least of the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. And Herod called the Magi secretly and found out the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go search carefully for the child. And as soon as you find him, report to me that I too may go and worship him. After they'd heard the king, they went on their way. And the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, when they saw the child and his mother Mary, they bowed down and worshipped him. And they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So where, where are they going? What's their journey about? Well, we're not told where they start. They've come from the east and they're heading to, to find this new king that has been born. So they set out. And there's a lot of courage here. There's a lot of determination. They set out, they pack these, these treasures that we read about. They pack them and they don't know exactly where they're going. Maybe God has told them about this king. Maybe there is a wisdom that they're aware of. But either way, with determination and courage, they set out to find this new baby. And they don't know exactly where they're going. They go, to, uh, they go to Jerusalem because that's surely where a king will be born. But then because they're wise men, 
They ask questions. Sometimes we think of wisdom as being something that we dispense. We're wise, so we we tell people about what they should do and where they should go. But I wonder if wisdom is a lot more about listening than it is talking. And a lot more about the humility to ask questions than it is tell other people what to do. Nevertheless, the wise men ask, they inquire, they search, they seek. Unlike Mary and Joseph, who are sort of told to go on their journey, they, they seems to be from their own initiative and conviction. And they set out. And they discover where Jesus is. Where, where is their journey going from the east to find Jesus? Why? Because there's this, there's this conviction that they have. They're making that decision. And once again, their journey only makes sense when they find Jesus. Their journey only makes sense as they find Jesus and they give them in their gifts. They worship him. There's a sense that as they find Jesus, that they found somebody who, who is worth worshipping, is worth giving their life for. And they present him with this gold, indicating his kingship. When we give gold, we're saying, this is the best that we can give. You're worth the very best that, that we can manage. They give frankincense, indicating his priest, his, his ultimate priesthood. The priest has this fantastic responsibility as he stands between the people and God. And he tells the people what God is like and he intercedes on behalf of the people before God. And that role is going to be ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. And they present him with myrrh, this uh, spice, this uh, indicating the, the death that Jesus would uh, would die. A very different journey from Mary and Joseph, but again only makes sense in Jesus. And thirdly, the shepherds, carrying on from Luke chapter 2. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God, saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened that the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off, found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. And when they'd seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said. Mary treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. The journey that the shepherds go on is different again. Where are they going? Well, their journey is probably a lot shorter. They're in the fields outside Bethlehem and they're going to travel to find the baby Jesus. Probably not that far. Why are they making this journey? Well, it's not because a foreign king has told them And it's not necessarily something from their own learning or desire. 
but someone has told them about Jesus and they want to know more. They've had a taste of, of, of heaven. They've had a sense of the good news and they want to discover more. And once again, their journey only makes sense as they find Jesus. The shepherds, I want to suggest to you, were outsiders. I think the shepherds were outsiders in a number of senses. In one sense, they sort of lived outside. Their world is outside as they looked after these sheep. But perhaps more than that, they were outsiders in society as well. As those who would kind of transient as they journeyed with the sheep, looking after them, taking them to fresh pasture. They, were, they weren't really part of regular life. They couldn't go to the temple and be ceremonially clean because of their lifestyle. We have some hints from kind of things, uh, documents around that time of, of, of shepherds not being able to give testimony in a court of law because you don't trust a shepherd. Or them giving money to the temple and the priest going and getting the money and giving it back to them. <laughs> So we don't want that sort of money. You don't trust them. They're, they're, they're always on the move, often blamed for stealing things. They're, these are the shepherds, they're outsiders in every sense. And yet as God is stepping into his world, this incredible event that we, we just need to ponder anew and, and, and recognize, even if it's familiar, that God, the eternal God, has stepped into creation as a baby laid in a manger the first people who were invited to see this, the incarnation, are these outsiders. These outsiders are welcomed in, in this picture which is as true now as it ever has been. That Jesus has come to welcome in the outsider. And significantly, they leave the sheep behind. These sheep that were, were destined for... Um, some of them at least, destined for the, the sacrificial system. The sheep were destined that somebody would come and say, I'll buy that sheep because I know I've done wrong. I know I've got things wrong. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've thought and said and done things which are against a holy God. But this sheep will die to pay the price for my sin so that I don't have to. And they leave the sheep behind because there is something better in that stable Jesus has come to be the sacrifice once and for all for our sin. He has died that we don't have to. He has died that that no more sacrifices are needed. He was taken outside the city to give up his life for our sin. Of course, to be raised again victorious over sin, over hell, over death. This is a remarkable story. The story is so much greater than the snapshot. And it only makes sense in Jesus. As I close, I want to just draw your attention to, th- to three things. Perhaps to ponder, if, uh, if time permits you, in this coming week. First of all, I would say to you, There's a lot of journeys in the Christmas narrative. Whereabouts are you at with your journey? Where where are you at on your journey? And I want to suggest that just as it was the case for Mary and Joseph and the wise men and the shepherds, that perhaps our journey only makes sense with Jesus. Only makes sense in Jesus. 
It says, it says people find Jesus. As the shepherds, as the wise men find him, that they, they worship. It's as, as they find him, they, they receive joy and peace and significance. And their journey continues. They don't stop at the stable. They both keep going. But, we, but things are different. And, and if you haven't encountered Jesus, if you haven't met him, then I would encourage you to think on that. And, and you can. <laughs> you can. Because he's, he's, he's not a baby anymore and he's not in a stable. He went to the cross, but he's not there anymore either. He went to the grave, but he's certainly not there. He's in heaven. And remarkably, as we give our lives to him, he comes by his spirit to live within our lives. Now, that's a story. God himself comes to live within us. Remarkable. And we can, we can call out to him. We can admit the things we've done wrong, confess with our mouth and believe with our heart and follow this remarkable Jesus. Our journey, I suggest, only makes sense with him. Secondly, it may be that you, um, you've given your life to the Lord and, and, and are following him, but still experiencing the difficulties and challenges and disappointments that life, come, that, that life brings. Just like Mary had to, do, had to go on that journey, remarkably, God was living within her, but there were still difficulties and challenges to face. And I want to encourage you, if that's the case for you this morning, that God is not taking a snapshot, but writing a story. And, and, and if, there's a, if the snapshot of your life this, this Christmas time doesn't look or feel that great because there's unfulfilled expectations, there's pain, there's the reality of the broken world and the, the decisions we've made or the decisions that others have made, all kind of cramming in. Well, God is not taking a snapshot, he's writing a story. And the Bible is full of people who've made mistakes or others have made mistakes around them. But he can weave his story through ours. That he can write a story of redemption and restoration and healing in the pages of our lives. Give it over to the Lord. We still go through difficult things. We still go through mysterious things. He's not a genie. But he weaves it. He weaves it into the most in, incredible, eternal. Story of significance. And thirdly, as we close, don't leave Jesus in a manger. He starts in a manger, but his journey didn't start there at all. It started in eternity past and will be there till eternity future. And he steps in in the incarnation, but he doesn't stay in a manger and he doesn't stay on a cross and he doesn't stay in the grave. He goes and ascends to heaven and he comes to live within us by his spirit. Let's live in that reality. The band are going to come up and they're going to sing a song for us. Just recognizing that, kind of taking that theme of journey um, that, uh, that Jesus, uh, that Christmas began that story for us. But Jesus carried on from, us, from a, a stable to a cross. 
and, and, and onwards to heaven. And after they've sung that song, we'll, uh, we'll share communion together before we close.